Hear the word of the Lord from 1 Peter 5, 5 through 11. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him, because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Welcome to Sacred City. My name is Justin, and I am the lead pastor here at the church. I'm going to pray for us, and I'm going to tell you why we're not in Ezra this morning. Father, uh, we thank you for your holy word. We are people of the book. We are people that come under the authority of your, of your holy word, and we want you to direct our thinking. We want you to direct our affections. We want you to direct our lives. We are Christians. We want Christ to rule all of us. And so I pray this morning that you would help me be under your word, that you would think through my mind and speak to my vocal cords, that it'd be all of you and none of me. I pray that your people would hear your voice. And I pray your word would do exactly what you want it to do this morning for your glory and for our good. In Jesus' name, <clears throat> amen. Well, you saw there that uh, we did not read from Ezra chapter 4 this morning. Instead, we read from 1 Peter chapter 5. And the reason why we did that is um, because I... Let me see, how do I say this here? Well, let me just... First off, let me say there's a lot of changes going on at the church. There's a lot of stuff going on at the church. And I wanted to speak directly to some of those this morning. Um, first off, the elders believe that um, we should, we're making some changes to our missional community gatherings. I'm sure many of you have heard about this uh, for the next six months. And I want to kind of address some of the anxiety around these changes in the life of our church. And I'm gonna tell you, so pause. Ezra chapter, Ezra is about a lot of conflict, okay? Ezra is making big changes, doing big moves for the glory of God in the midst of a lot of fighting. There's a point in Ezra and Nehemiah where literally Nehemiah fights with the people of God. <laughs> he literally gets physical with them. There is a lot of conflict there. Well, I didn't want to stand up here in the midst of a lot of anxiety in our church and just preach on fighting again, <laughs> preach on adver like goodness gracious. So I said, I felt the Lord say, you need to turn today and you need to address some of the anxiety. And so that's what I'm doing. For the first time in 11 years, I changed the text that I'm preaching on. Okay, first time in 11 years. Literally, the reader found out this morning when she got here. And she was very thankful because she didn't have to read Artaxerxes and Hasurit and all these crazy names, okay? She's like, yeah, First Peter, we can do that. But we'll have her back next week to do all the hard work. So let me first address some of the upcoming changes to missional community life here at the church. For almost 11 years now, Sacred City has operated 
um, with a decentralized and fairly unstructured leadership development system. It was mainly an apprenticeship model. If you wanted to be an MC leader, or if you got asked to be an MC leader, you learn what to do by observing your current missional community leader. That model has served us pretty well, but our church is now at the size where we must develop a more formal process for training and developing missional community leaders. This is going to take some of the weight off of our missional community leaders and will help them long-term avoid burnout as well. So beginning in March, we're going to pull, put all of our missional community gatherings on pause. We're not canceling missional communities. We're putting our gatherings on pause and we are inviting all of our people into a new learning environment on Wednesday nights. We are calling this new learning environment our Leadership Institute. But it isn't just for leaders this first time around. It's for everyone. We want to provide quality biblical training on living in gospel-centered relationships. That's, that's not easy to do. We want to provide biblical training on leading other people into deeper discipleship to Jesus. We want to teach on gospel hospitality. We want to teach on how to lead missional communities, how to tell a story, how to gospel people. All of these different things we're going to teach um, in this Leadership Institute. The elders took some time away this week. We went on a retreat together. We spent the night somewhere away and we went through a lot of topics and a lot of conversation and a lot of prayer. We, we came up with 12 specific teaching that we think our church desperately needs, and we think it's going to be an outstanding time and an outstanding season for our church. Now, I want to emphasize to you all that this will benefit all of us. It's not just for leaders. Even if you don't think of yourself as a leader, if you are in a missional community, this will teach you how to be a more helpful and intentional member of your missional community. You will learn how to come alongside your leaders and be a greater encouragement to them, and this will help your missional community thrive and be more missional. So we're making these changes to improve our missional communities, to improve the health of our leaders. So in the future, we can be more fruitful. That's why we're doing it. So we're inviting everybody out on, on these Wednesday nights and uh, starting in March, the second week of March, first week of March, first Wednesday of March is Ash Wednesday. And then the second Wednesday, we'll be starting this. <clears throat> Um, and we'll all talk more about that in the future. We're really excited about, about that. Now I want to deal with some of the anxiety that is kind of just swirling around in our church. Now, anxiety is usually evidenced by emotional reactivity. Not just emotions, but emotional reactivity. The higher the anxiety a person has, the less able they are to regulate their emotional reactions. Highly anxious people are easily triggered. We are living in what many sociologists are calling the most anxious society that has ever existed. We all walk around every day with a certain level of anxiety. It just buzzes under the surface. We might not even know it. We just kind of feel distressed or depressed or 
anxious or worried or angry or frustrated or fearful. But that energy can be called anxiety. And we bring it with us wherever we go. You have a bad day at work. You come home. Guess what happens with the family system? Everybody knows. What's wrong with you, dad? Right? Everybody knows you're bringing some energy into the room with you. Here's what happens. Your anxiety about your kids is an energy that is just kind of chronic. It's under the surface. And then you read an article or listen to a podcast and something in it triggers you. Something in it pours gasoline on that fire. It multiplies your fears and now you might not even know it, but your anxiety has become acute. It's went from chronic to acute. The next thing you know, you're fighting with your spouse. What, what is this? Anxiety, I got, I got frustrated about my kids. Why am I fighting with my spouse, right? I had a bad day at work. Why am I taking it out on the kids? They're like, what in the world just happened? I just walked in and you were in a mood. See, you were already a little anxious and fearful. You might not have been aware of it. Then you had some encounter that brought that chronic anxiety up to the level of acute anxiety and you reacted emotionally and took it out on your spouse. You reacted emotionally. Here's what I want us to see. That is happening all of the time and most of the time we're not aware of it. All of us are anxious about the state of our marriages about the state of our families, about the state of our church, about the state of our society, about the state of our careers. I could go on and on and on. The more you love something, the more anxious you're gonna be about it. The more invested you are in something, the more anxious you are gonna be about it. And we are carrying that anxiety around with us and it usually only takes a spark from someone else to set it off. I want us to become aware of this because I don't think we are most of the time. I want us to become aware of this, to be able to name it and then to be able to respond as Christians, respond appropriately and grow up into maturity, the full Christ-likeness, and become less emotionally reactive people. There's a difference between reacting to something and responding to something. We want to respond and not react. So, we all have this chronic anxiety in our life, and then you throw in things like the wounds we have from others in our past, the way our father loved us or didn't love us, the way our father was there or wasn't the way, there, the way our, our mother invested into our life, the way our family dynamics worked as a, as a child, the way we've been sinned against by others. We've got that, that adds to our anxiety. Then you've got 
So that's your anxiety. Then you got your spouse's anxiety or you got your boss's anxiety or you got other people's anxiety and you're in relationship with them. So you're bringing your anxiety into it. They're bringing their anxiety into it. And then we've got the anxiety from our culture. You've got all of the stuff that's happened the past two years with COVID and race and politics and your past hurts from churches. And then we've got the Who Killed Mars Hill podcast. And there, ooh, just gasoline out there, fumes out there. We're really suspicious about any strong leader, any leader, really. All of this stuff is working to make us more anxious, more reactive, less patient, less hopeful, less trusting, less in control of our emotions. Paul tells us in Romans chapter 12, listen, to present our bodies as a living sacrifice. I don't want to get into all this, but there's different parts of our brain. And they tell us that the lower regions of our brain, they call it a lizard brain, they're the, that, that's the part of our brain that controls non-voluntary, or non, it's non-conscious, non-voluntary things in our life, right? So breathing, thankfully we don't have to think about breathing. Our body takes care, our lizard brain takes care of that for us. But, but so is our, our anxiety is down there most of the time. So that, so that if you get scared, you react a certain way, right? You see a bear, we know, fight or flight, typically. They have a couple of reactions down there, right? But then the upper parts of our brain is where we take conscious control of our emotions. We put our emotions under our reasoning. We put our emotions under, Christians, the mind of Christ. Well, part of what's going on in our culture right now through a lot of different things is people, and we are living in the lower regions of our brain. We are living reactive to everything and not responding, not conscious. Paul, when he tells us to present our bodies as living sacrifices, we're to lay our old man down. We're to lay that fleshly person down, that reactive person, the person that always reacts to everything from their flesh without bringing things up to the into the mind of Christ and thinking things through scripturally, we're to lay that part of our body down. And it seems like many of us are becoming more reactive. Paul tells us to present our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, listen, which is our spiritual worship. Now listen, do not be conformed to this world. Yeah, that's how the world does it. That's not how we do it. Listen, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That by testing, you may discern what the will of God is, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. Christians want to worship God rightly. In our right worship of God, we have to resist this form of conformity to the world. We have to be less anxious, less emotionally reactive, this is one way that we are to be transformed by the renewal of our mind. We do not react out of the lizard brain portion of our mind. Now, of course, we, you will sometimes, right? You see the, the dog gets off its leash, let the lizard brain take control, right? 
kick the thing in the face and run or whatever you got to do, right? But we don't want to be reacting like that with our Christian brothers and sisters, right? We don't want to be reacting like that all the time. That literally wears us out emotionally. That lizard brain portion of our mind, that's the flesh. Rather, through prayer, the practice of the spiritual disciplines, through scripture reading, and through leaning into the Holy Spirit, listen, we seek to be a non-anxious presence. We can be in the midst of an anxious system, but we can be a non-anxious presence that responds in Christ-likeness rather than emotional reactivity. Now, I say all that in order to say this. Sometimes I am the one that triggers your anxiety. Sometimes I can do this I probably do this every single week, actually. I do that from what I say up here. I can do it via a decision that the elders have made that you don't agree with or understand. And I could do it through something I say on the podcast, or I can do it just in a personal encounter with me. And here's what some of the things that the elders are trying to work through. There's at least two realities to this that we all have to be aware of. And we're trying to name it this morning. One, I can be anxious too. I am anxious too. First off, I deeply love God, this church, and you. I'm fully committed to serving God and you here the rest of my life. Something like 60% of pastors have considered quitting these last two years. I haven't. I'm more, fir- I am, I'm more firm in my resolve. I know what I'm called to do. And if God keeps me here, by his grace, I'll be here the rest of my life. I want to see your kids get married here. I want to see your kids get baptized here. I want to see their kids get baptized here. Most of you have never been a pastor and therefore you don't understand what Paul meant when he listed all of the difficulties that he had through his ministry as a missionary and a pastor. He talked about being beaten and shipwrecked and snake bitten and lied about and all these different things. And he ends this epic sentence like this. And apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Paul's love and care for his people made him anxious for their well-being, for their kids, for their future, for their salvation. Here's how some of this anxiety can play out with me. I sit down with a parent and their teenager. I myself have a teenager. That brings some of my own anxiety into this meeting already. I could get triggered. In the meeting, I hear, and this is real, In the meeting, I hear that they're being sexually abused in the public school setting by a person of the same sex. The school is refusing to do anything about it because of optics. Now, the details of this meeting change. The past year, I've heard stories of friends getting friends into illegal drug use to self-medicate their self-diagnosed anxiety. I've heard church-going teens sexting each other. Radical LGBTQ plus indoctrination 
gender theory causing kids who were raised in a Christian home in this church to walk away from their faith and so much more. I come out of those meetings and my parental and pastoral anxiety can be turned up. Then I go into another meeting where a parent of, of, a young, of young children tell me that the schools aren't as bad as I think they are. In my worst moments, I can, in my lizard brain moments, in my fleshly moments, I can react emotionally to that instead of responding patiently. I can also bring that anxiety into the pulpit with me, on the podcast with me. Now, I want you to see here that this is not a simple issue. I love you. I love your children. I want them to follow Jesus all their life. I realize that we have an adversary who wants to steal, kill, and destroy from you and from your children. But I do not want my anxiety or my emotional intensity to run you over. I know I have done that in the past, and for that I'm sorry. I'm deeply sorry. So this is one reality that we must be aware of. I am anxious too, and I am personally committed to growing in this area, and the elders are holding me accountable to this, and they have seen over the past year specifically how much I have grown, this is their words, in this where I've had literally people in my face yelling at the top of their lungs, cussing me out, and I've been patient and responded patiently in the midst of it. Here's the second reality. God calls me to lead you into things that are going to trigger your anxiety. Sometimes all we want is a little peace. All we want is a little quiet. All I want is just a little chill. And then we come in here hoping to get that positive, encouraging word that will boost our spirits for the day. And God, through his word and by his spirit, has a different agenda. He wants to convict you of sin. He wants to provoke your conscience to repentance and change. He wants to humble you out of your current state of pride. He wants to pry your most loved and cherished idol out of your hand and that feels like death to you. Some of those wounds that you've got as a child, you grabbed a hold of an idol to help you feel better about that and to help you cope with that and God wants to pry that out of your hand and that feels like death to you. Or maybe he just wants to open your eyes to something in the culture that you're not aware of. Something that's distressing that you don't know you should be praying about. You're not even aware of. Now listen, when that happens, any of those things, your flesh will want to blame me for triggering your anxiety. But the reality is that God is the one that is provoking your anxiety to get your attention. You know that your anxiety can actually cause you to misinterpret my words or any words of preachers. Your anxiety can take my words or even take something I didn't say and tell you, here's what he really means. 
I remembered, or I realized this early on in my marriage. I'd stumble into the kitchen, look, man, there's, there's nothing to eat. And I'd hear my wife get exasperated behind me. I'd be like, what's up? What's the matter? <gasps> I can't do everything. You know, she didn't get mad like that. I, this is my, exam, my example. If you know my wife, she doesn't do that. But she, get, she, she starts saying things that I didn't say. And we start pulling these, this thing out. And ultimately, it re, me saying, there's nothing to eat, is saying, you're not very good homemaker. You're not very good, in the, you're not very good with your responsibilities. She heard in her head something that I was not saying. She heard me saying, you're incompetent. I'm like, I'm just hungry. <laughs> right? Now, this works both ways. Right? She challenges me on something that I, some, something I bought usually. You know? It's usually something I bought. Did you need that? Oh, what do you mean? And I get all, I get all flustered. I hear, you, I hear from her, you're irresponsible with money. I'm hearing something she's not saying. That's my anxiety. That's not what she's saying. And our culture is doing this nonstop. You say something, and then that, the person says, so what you're really saying is, what? That's your anxiety. That's not what I'm saying at all. What I'm really saying is the exact words that came out of my mouth. You don't know what I mean sometimes. And your anxiety wants to interpret things a certain way. The problem isn't with her words. Now the problem, now I can say things incorrectly. I'm not saying that, right? The problem is our anxiety. Now this happens in all of our relationships and it can happen every single week that I preach something that your anxiety doesn't appreciate. Our text this morning is a great example. It begins just like this, verse five. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. All I have to do is say the word be subject, the words be subject or submission. And many of us are already triggered. Already triggered. There are some Bible verses I just read and whoof, immediately. When this happens, you have to be able to self-assess and realize what's going on. You have to be able to say, hold on. Is that, is that what he said? Is that what he meant? Or they or whoever? Or is this my anxiety? Twisting words to protect something I cherish deeply in my heart. Now that anxiety always comes out through some kind of emotional reactivity. It can be anger, it can be shame, it can be fear, it can be guilt, it can be sadness. That's one of the ways our flesh works against our spiritual growth and keeps us in the lizard brain, keeps us immature, keeps us reacting all the time. And this doesn't play out just through my preaching. 
when I cast a vision for our church and I said, this is the elders, we could come together and we say, this is where we think we need to go. We're gonna pause these missional communities. You can be really connected to the way things were and you can get really anxious about where we're going. And when you think about this, can you imagine the anxiety that would accompany every single person in scripture who did anything significant for God? Think about Abraham with Isaac on the altar. Can you imagine the anxiety of that? I can't, it's un 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 unbearable. Can you imagine 400, the Israelites have been slaves for 400 years before God called Moses. And what does he do? He doesn't lead them out into a moment of comfort. He doesn't lead them out into 40 years of counseling. That's what they needed. They've been slaves for 400 years, right? Listen, he led them into a desert he led them into a very difficult season where they needed to learn to lean on God and trust God in the midst of it. Ezra and Nehemiah having to rebuild the temple and the city in the midst of intense opposition, infighting and enemies from outside and enemies from inside. Listen, God does not wait for us to enter into a less anxious season before he calls us to do great things. I was thinking this week about Peter daring to walk on the water with Jesus. And he gets out there and, I mean, many times we forget he actually did it. He actually walked out there with Jesus. But then what happens? Then his eyes move from Jesus to his circumstances, to the waves, to the wind. And what happens? He begins to sink. So here we stand today. You are anxious. I am anxious. And we live in the midst of a culture that is terribly anxious and God is calling us to make some significant changes in our church over the next year in order to build up his church. What are we gonna do? The question I have for us this morning is, in the midst of great anxiety, can you trust God? Can you truly rest in the sovereignty of God when you cannot control the outcome. I know that's hard. This might be even harder. You wanna know why it's so hard? Because we are incredibly proud people. Our anxiety, most of the time, is a pride issue. This is why Peter, when he's addressing anxiety, begins by calling us to humble ourselves. Here's what he says. Clothe yourselves. First off, likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. That statement right there triggers us. 
We don't want to be subject to nobody. I'm an individual. I determine my, my own future. I'm in control. I'm not going to be in submission to anybody. I'm not going to listen to anybody unless they can convince me to do, to do what I already think is right. I'm not going to be subject to them. Now listen, and listen, if, when you, if you submit to, I'm going to say, if you submit to the elders and everything you already agree with, you're not submitting to the elders. Submission only happens when we disagree. Husband and wife, same deal. Submission only happens. Submission isn't, I'm going to convince everybody. And if I can convince you, then you'll agree. No, that's not submission. That's you submitting to yourself, right? So when I say we got to go this direction, you go, I think we need to go this direction, right? And I can't convince you. This is when I go, Lord, you've given me elders for a reason. I'm going to submit myself to them because I'm going to submit to you and I'm going to humbly follow them. If not, then you'll, you'll leave. But look, this is what I, I want you to say. Watch this. After that statement, and this is not, a, this is, this is not the point of the sermon. That submission part is not the point of the sermon. This next line is, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. Now, he just talked about submission. He knows we're gonna have a problem with that. What's the answer? Humility. Humility toward one another. Look, oh, this is a tough one. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Oof. I'm not going to submit to any elder. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. That makes me anxious, Justin. Look at the next line. Humble yourselves. Therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that the proper time he may exalt you. Look, casting all your anxieties on him. He knows that's going to make us anxious. He doesn't say don't feel anxious. He tells us what to do with our anxiety. Now this is what, this is what we want to do. Here's what I, I need you to see. When we feel anxious, we want to target someone. We want to blame someone. I'm the loudest person in the church. So anytime you get anxious, you're going to want to put it on me. That's what you want to do. That's what scapegoating is called. That's what scapegoating is. I need my anxiety to go somewhere. I got to do something with it. And so you're going to want to put it on the president. You're going to want to put it on me. You're going to, we want to put it somewhere. The Bible tells us where Christians have to put their anxiety. On Jesus. On God, I won't take it. I won't accept it. I've got enough of my own. I want to keep doing this for a long time. If I take your anxiety on myself and I carry that weight, I'll burn out. I'll be done. Casting all your anxieties on him. Now look at this. Because he cares for you. Why do you have elders? Because he cares for you. What do you do with your anxiety? Put it on Jesus. Why? Because he cares for you. He cares for you. He's with you in the midst of it. He's given you an outlet. He's shown you what to do with your anxiety. 
Look at verse eight. Be sober-minded. <gasps> See, lizard brain reacts. Just like when you get drunk, you can't control your mind. You're not, you're not sober. You're not fully in control of your faculties. When your anxiety gets amped up and you're out of control emotionally, what does out of control mean? It means I shut down. Sometimes I can just shut down. It means I lash out. It means I start reinterpreting everybody's words according to my wounds and what I think they really meant. All of that is emotional reactivity. I feel really guilty. What you said made me feel guilty. That's not what they, whatever they said, that's not their problem. That's your problem. No one can make you feel guilty. We have to be sober-minded. And this is just, this is an anxiety sandwich. Starts with submitting to elders, ends with, hey, cast your anxieties on you. Oh yeah, by the way, you have an adversary. And look at this. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. You have elders over you. That kind of ruffles your feathers. And you have a devil who's trying to eat you. Thanks, Paul or Peter. Thanks, Peter. Here we go. Here we go. But listen, resist him. Conflict. Anxiety is mandatory. There's a lion, spiritual lion, trying to eat you, trying to kill you, trying to destroy your family, trying to destroy your marriage, trying to destroy your soul, that he is the devil and he is real. Resist him. Firm in your faith. Knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. So, anxiety is normal. Conflict is normal. Pressure is normal. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, looks, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. It's interesting here that Peter does not tell them to stop feeling anxious. He doesn't say things aren't really that bad. He doesn't rebuke them for their fear, their worry, and their anxiety. No, Peter tells them, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God by casting your anxieties on him. Peter's saying, humble yourself by casting your cares on God. This is, he's riffing here off of Psalm 55, 22, where it says, cast your cares on the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never let the righteous fall. It's a burden. Take 
the backpack that you're carrying around, the burden of your kids, the burden of all the, the souls of the people in your mission community, the souls of your neighbor, all these things. Take all of that anxiety off and put it on Christ. What does it mean though to cast something? It means to throw it, throw something off of a burden that I'm carrying. If I'm casting a stone, I have the burden in my hand and I'm getting rid of it, I'm throwing it. So Peter tells his anxious readers, transfer your burden onto the Lord. It's not yours to carry. Cast off your fear. Cast off your anxiety. Cast off your sins that slow you down. Cast off your idols. Cast off your need to control everything that comes into your life. Jesus says, come to me, all you are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. It's so bizarre. Come to me, all you who are weary and give you rest. And then he says, he's like, take my yoke upon you. It's light and easy. Oh, we're like, yeah. And he's like, pick up your cross and follow me. We're like, duh, what? I was here for the chill. So why can't we cast off these things? Why don't we put them on Jesus? Well, if you notice, Peter said, humble yourself by casting your anxieties on Jesus. What he's saying is worry, anxiety, is a form of pride because it involves taking concerns upon oneself instead of entrusting them to God. And again, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble the majority of my anxiety stems from my pride that believes I have the resources necessary to manage my own life. Peter says, <coughs> Christians don't just suck it up and push through. They cast. How do we do that? Well, first off, I think we, we have to name it. Peter says to Mary, you're anxious about many things. Or Martha, you're anxious about many things. He's drawing her, her attention. No, no, no. I wanted her help. She was not doing something right. He's like, no, no, no. Your anxiety is the problem. We have to name it. To say, I'm anxious about many things. What, what am I most anxious about? And then we have to say, God, I'm not trusting you. I have not humbled myself under you. I'm trying to be you. I'm not trusting you, Lord, because I'm afraid you aren't going to do what I want you to do. And we have to repent. Father, that is a sin. I'm not trusting you in this. I'm not walking by faith in this. I need to cast my cares to you. I repent for doing that. I repent for not trusting my leaders. I repent for taking offense all the time. I repent for feeling anxious over whatever it is. 
then we cast that anxiety onto Jesus. This is not something you just do on Sunday morning. This is something you might have to do every 15 minutes of your day. Think about it. The cross of Jesus shows me that God never gets it wrong. The worst event in human history turned out to be my greatest day. The sinless son of God was crucified and everyone around it, their anxiety peaked. Their anxiety went through the roof. Peter bolts, right? Only a few of them at all, everybody bolted. Only a few were there at the cross witnessing it. Why? This can't be happening. This can't be right. God's off the throne. Jesus apparently wasn't the savior. And then three days later, everybody goes, oh, I overreacted. (laughs) You were saving me. (laughs) My bad. The sinless son of God died to forgive my sin, adopt me into the family of God and give me eternal life with him in a totally renewed heaven and earth. Therefore, the worst, this is just the worst, of, worst day in human history turned out to be our greatest. Therefore, whatever pain we're experiencing in the moment, we can trust him with it and we can cast our anxieties onto him in the midst of it and say, I trust you, Lord. So I'm going to humble myself and I need you to help me humble myself in this. This is what it looks like to walk by faith. You might just have to print this scripture out and put it everywhere. Put it on your dashboard, put it on your refrigerator, put it on your mirror. Humble. Be humility towards one another. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God so at the proper time he may exalt you. And after you have suffered a little little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself, he'll restore everything you thought you lost. He'll confirm you. He'll confirm your faith. He'll confirm everything that was true or not true. He'll strengthen you when you're weak. He, he, he will establish you. He's gonna get us to the end, not us. Let me pray for us this morning. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the way you lead us and you direct us. I pray that you would continue to humble us all, that we would lead in humility we would walk in humility, that we would seek humility, we would pursue humility, that when we feel anxious, we would do exactly what your word tells us to do. We wouldn't try to, we wouldn't lash out, we wouldn't try to put it on someone else. We'd put it on Jesus. Would you help us, Lord? We are anxious people living in an anxious world and we need your peace that passes all understanding. And, we're, and you're leading us into some anxiety-producing 
circumstances, some changes in the church and want to pursue a building and all, all the stuff that's going on. But you give us unity, humility, and peace in the midst of this. And we know we can have these things because of who Jesus Christ is. So we think about it right now. I just pray that we would search our hearts for some of those areas of anxiety, maybe some of those idols of control that we've got. And we would cast, we would turn, we'd see them for what they are, sin, and we would cast them upon Jesus even now. We would ask your forgiveness as we come to the Lord's table, that we are united by the blood of Jesus Christ at this table. And the blood of Jesus Christ would be more important than anything else. I pray that your Holy Spirit would both convict of sin and convince us of the righteousness, the perfect righteousness that's been given to us in Christ. And you, Jesus, would help us, would literally take some of these things off of us. I pray that you would do this right now for your glory and our good. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.